I would invite you to be turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. We were there last week, and we're going to finish up and move into chapter 2. As I mentioned to you last week, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to preach verse by verse throughout the whole book. Uh, maybe. I don't know, but um, or at least I'm enjoying uh, bringing some lessons to us from the book of Hebrews. Uh, as we get started, I, I'm just, I feel overwhelmed by so many people making comments about my shirt this morning. Um, it's not pink, it's actually called salmon. Um, salmon, that's a fancy word for, um, for pink, um, but uh, salmon is, is the color, and I just want to thank everybody that commented. Um, actually, no one commented. Um, no, there was one. There was one. Thank you, Jenny. She, uh, she was the only one. But I, but I knew that more would, would want to do that. So anyway, salmon, fancy for pink. As we talked about last Sunday, the book of Hebrews um, could be called the book of better things or the book of superior things. That word, uh, th- those words better and superior are used some 15 times throughout uh, the letter to the Hebrews. So um, Hebrews can be called the book of better things. One commentator that I'm reading is calling this an ancient encouragement for believers today. Uh, Why did those ancient believers, why did they need encouragement? See, so often, like I told you last Sunday, the Bible was not written to us but it was written for us. This, this letter by this unknown author was written to this group of people because they needed encouragement. Uh, some of that was probably because there was some persecution. You know, not every Christian who, who found themselves following Jesus Christ, not all of their family members followed Jesus There were many of them who had to leave their families, who were ostracized by their families because they were following this this man from Nazareth who was crucified on a cross like a common thief. You're following that guy? So many of them uh, were undergoing persecution, maybe some from their family members, maybe some from the government. But for whatever reason, whatever crisis they were were facing, they needed some encouragement. I also think it was a crisis just of commitment. Some of them had grown tired. They had grown weary. And so they needed this encouragement. So it was an encouragement for them, and now we find these ancient words are such an encouragement for us even today. Uh, We're going to look at at these verses uh, this morning. Verses 5 through 9, the exalted one is God's son. He is God's heir. Verse 10 talks about he is the divine agent in creation. You remember last Sunday we talked about that, that Jesus uh, was with God in the beginning. He was God and that there was nothing that was created, nothing that was made that was not made by him and for him and through him. So Jesus, the the Hebrew writer, uh, talks again about he is the divine agent in creation. Uh, Verses 11 and 12, he shares God's eternal nature. He's always been. We're going to contrast that 
uh, to the angels here, we're, we're going to read about here in just a moment, but it contrasts that from the angels to the Son. The Son is not a created being. He's always existed, eternal in nature. And then lastly, verse 13, he's now enthroned at God's right hand. We talked about that last Sunday. He's ruling, he's reigning, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, which means that his work is finished. It is accomplished. He did what he, what he set out to do, and because of that, God has elevated him. He has given him the name that is above all names. You see, if it's even possible, I want you to think about this. I want you to ponder this just for a moment. If it's even possible for us to think about Jesus having a more exalted state now than he had at the very beginning, I think that's what the Hebrew writer is telling us. Can you imagine God, the word that was in the beginning was with God, and he was God. That word left heaven, and he became a man. And he dwelt among us. He walked among us. He lived as we live. He got hungry. He got sleepy. He got tired. Surely he experienced laughter and joy and sorrow. He was a man in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. He knows what we go through because he became one of us. And because that very reason, after having made purification for our sins, is what we read last, last week, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and God, because of that, has given him an inheritance. Because he was faithful, the faithfulness of Christ. We are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so now God has exalted him, if you will, to even a higher place than possibly he had even before because of what he, do, uh, what he did in providing purification for our sins. That's hard to even wrap my mind around, but I do think that's part of what the Hebrew writer is telling us. Go to the next slide before we get started. The New Testament, it presents Jesus as God's son with several different meanings. We'll read in our text. He is God's son in essence by his eternal nature. He's always been. He's always existed. He's God's son in the flesh by that um, immaculate conception. The Holy Spirit uh, overcame the Virgin Mary, and even though she'd never been with a man, she is now pregnant with child. And so he is the Son of God in the flesh, God as his Father. And then he's the Son of God in glory. The Apostle Paul talks about this, that by the power of the resurrection, Jesus was proven to be the Son of God. I mean, that's good stuff. By the power of the resurrection, it proved that Jesus was who he said he was, and also by God's decree, declaring him to be his son. The son of God, sitting at God's right hand, he ranks uh, far higher than any angel ever could. And as great as he was before becoming a man, I think the son now enjoys a position of recognition that, that wasn't always his because of what he did. God named him heir of all things, and that is part of his inheritance. Let's just read our text this morning and comment as we go. 
We're going to begin in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. This is Psalm number 2, the second Psalm. God says this about Jesus, but God never said that about an angel. Even though angels at times throughout Scripture are referred to as sons of God, little s, sons of God, God says, he says, to which of the angels did God ever say this? You are my son. Today I have become your father, or today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. That text right there is taken out of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and also uh, in the Chronicler's version of that. That was originally spoken of about King Solomon. You see, David was going to have a son, and God had always promised that one in the lineage of David would always be on the throne, right? He would always rule uh, throughout every generation. So this is really a prophecy about King Solomon being born and his being placed upon the throne as the Son of God. And yet the Hebrew writer uh, says unashamedly that this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. That's one thing that my brother Doral loves to talk about, that all of the Old Testament is about Jesus. Am I right, Doral? Everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus. It points to Jesus. So if we're not seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, we're, we're really missing it. We're really missing it because all of history, all of history was funneling itself down to when Jesus would come into the earth, when God would bring his Messiah to this earth as a man, walking among us so that he could live that perfect life, so that he could do what we could not do, living the perfect life, following the commands. We, we were talking in Exodus chapter 20 this morning about, about the giving of the law. God wanted mankind to love him and to follow his decrees, but nobody ever could do it. Nobody ever did it perfectly. Far from it at times. Jesus did that as a man. And so he's been exalted. I will be his father and he will be my son. Look at verse 6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You see, angels, angels are created beings. They, they're created to do God's bidding, to, to do what he says, to be messengers, to make himself known in this area or that area. And so all of the angels are supposed to worship Jesus. Now, I want you to look at this verse, verse 6. There's, there's sort of some, um, some challenges here in the, in the original language because this word, uh, from what the linguists say, it could be a, that word again could be connecting it to what has been said earlier. Uh, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. So when God brought his firstborn into the world, that was when Jesus left heaven and became a baby, right? When Jesus was born in the manger. Were there angels present when that happened? Were they singing Gloria, in excelsis Deo, all those good things? 
So yes, the angels were present. But it could also read like this. And when God again brings his firstborn into the world. And when God again brings his firstborn into the world, when would that have been? At the power, first of all, at the power of his resurrection. Jesus had died. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, on the first day of the week, on a day like today, God brought his son back into the world. Come on, y'all. God brought him back into the world. He raised him from the dead. So when God again brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let, God, let all of God's angels worship him. You think that happened? There were a couple of angels at the tomb, weren't there? Why do you seek the living with the dead? <laughs> He's not here. You look like an angel in white this morning, my brother. You, you look like an angel. Let all of God's angels worship you. You can imagine, for three days, listen guys, for three days, it's almost as if all of hell held its breath. Did we defeat him? Did we, did we kill the Son of God? Did we ruin God's plans? And you can almost, you can almost feel that all of hell was just holding its breath, waiting. Because there was this talk, there was this rumor about the third day and this rising again. And then very early, it's almost as if God couldn't wait. <laughs> he just couldn't wait to bring his son again back into the world. Very early on the first day of the week, God raises his son up from the dead. And you can almost see all of heaven, all of the angels, the hosts, peering down, and when Jesus comes back from the dead, and they just begin to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God, you're so awesome. You're so amazing to do this. Your plan was so perfect. It was so beautiful. Let all of God's angels worship him. But then again, Landon, and again, when God again brings his son into the world, there's going to be another time when God's son enters the world. That's going to be the second coming. There's going to be a day, there's going to be a day of judgment when God sends his son into the world again to come, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what the, the Bible says, that the dead that are in Christ, that have believed in him, that have put their faith in him, they're going to rise first, and then the rest of us uh, that might still be alive when Jesus comes back, it says, we'll meet them in the air and we'll be with the Lord forever. But there's also going to be a resurrection of all people, not just the saved, not just those who believed in Jesus. There's going to be a resurrection of everyone who's ever lived. And those who have loved God and who have put their faith in him, they're going to take on immortality. They're going to be given immortality. It never says that about those who don't believe. I want you to read the scripture. Don't take my word for it. Read the scripture. The Bible says, never says that they will be given immortality, but about those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, who put their faith in Jesus, they will be given immortality. That which was sown in corruption will be raised incorruptible. That which was mortal will now take on immortality. 
and will be with the Lord forever. But those that are resurrected who do not put their faith in Jesus, they will be condemned. They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. So I love this, this verse 6 here because ever how we read it, it does no violence to the Scripture. When Jesus came into the world, when God brought him into the world again, could mean his, his, the virgin birth, where it said, let all of God's angels worship him. It could have been when God raised him from the dead. Surely the angels worshiped him. And then when God sends his son back, the second coming, the second advent of Christ, let all of God's angels worship him. Isn't that good stuff? Verse 7, and speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. That's Psalm 104. The Hebrew writer uh, uses basically four psalms, uh, a theme that he comes back several times throughout the writing of this letter. Uh, Psalm 8, Psalm 40, Psalm 95, and I want to say Psalm 102. But in addition to that, there are, there are many other texts that he pulls from. This is Psalm 104. About the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. That, that's, that's who the angels are, okay? That's what the angels do. But about the sun, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Now, this text is about God the Father. It's about Yahweh. That's who this, this text is about. That's who the psalmist in Psalm 45 is writing about. He's writing about the God of heaven, the creator. And yet, it, this is attributed to Jesus. Why? Because he is God. He's God. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. That's true of Jesus. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, and you've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God never said that about an angel. No angel could his place have taken. No angel could have substituted for the son. He's higher than them all. That's what the psalmist is trying to remind, uh, the psalmist, that's what the Hebrew writer is trying to remind these early Christians about. You've begun following Jesus. Don't turn back. Don't turn around. He's trying to encourage them. This Jesus that you're following, his throne will last forever. He is God. He created the universe. God has set him above everything. Stay with it. Don't turn around. Verse 10, he also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Again, this is about God, but, he's, but he says this is true of the Son. This is true of Jesus. Uh, the heavens and the work, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you Remain the same, and your, year, and your years never end. That's Psalm 102. 
So to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? To which of the angels did God ever say that? No, never, never, zero. Only about the son. This is the most referenced Old Testament passage in all of the New Testament. That right there. Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's quoted by, I think, Matthew, by Mark. Uh, Paul uses it in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, the book of Acts. The Hebrew writer uses it four or five times. 1 Peter chapter 3 uses it. Revelation chapter 3, I think, uh, quotes from this text. It is the most quoted text, Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It conjures up this imagery of a conquering king. A king that has gone to battle and he is and he is victorious. And so now the, the, the conquered king must come and bow down before him and to give obeisance to him, possibly to kiss his feet in hopes to spare his life. That's the imagery. That's your enemy would be nothing more than just a footstool for you. It also conjures up the idea uh, we read about in Joshua, I think Joshua chapter 10, when, when Joshua brought out these five kings that were, were hiding in the cave, and when they brought them out, he had his men put their, put their feet on their necks. They're laid out prostrate on the ground, and he has his men put their, their feet on their necks. And then Joshua kills them and hangs their bodies up on trees on display. Wow. And this is what he says, not about an angel, but about the son. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Nothing more than just a footstool. That's that's what your enemies will be. Because of what you've done. Because you've been faithful. Because you never strayed from the plan. Even in the even in the garden when you prayed, oh God, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, I don't want to drink this cup, this bitter cup. I don't want to go through this pain. I don't want to go, I don't want to have nails in my hands and my feet. I don't want them to be pierced in the side. I don't want to be gasping for breath trying to sustain my life. I don't, I don't want to go through that. But yet not my will, but yours be done. Because you remain faithful, the faithfulness of Christ, I'm going to exalt you. You'll be seated at my right hand until I make all your enemies. Nothing but a footstool. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Who is that? Who's that talking about, those who will inherit salvation? Me and you. All those who've believed all throughout the ages and all of those who will believe. And that just reminds me. Let's just, let's just take an aside, okay? This Wednesday night, I, mean, I, I should have said this this morning, but I got busy talking about my salmon shirt. This Wednesday night, we have got a special treat, uh, a very special treat. We're going to meet in the commons. There's a man that is going to come, 
and is going to talk to us about um, Bible translation. This actually fits in with our text, I believe, this morning. If not, we're just going to make it fit in anyway. He's coming to talk to us about Bible translations. I have never met a Bible translator in person. I've heard that they're some of the, the smartest people on the planet. This guy is living, I'm going to give you one guess, anywhere on the planet, this guy is living and working in this one country, interpreting the Bible in a language in this country. Can you guess where this guy lives? Somebody say Togo, West Africa. That's right. Togo, West Africa, where Scott and I just got back from about a month ago preaching the gospel. This guy lives in Togo. He and his wife are back home. They just had a baby. They're waiting for the passport for the baby so they can go back. He's working in Togo on translating the Bible into a language in, in the northernmost part of Togo. And, and I've been there just a few clicks away from Burkina Faso. He is living, and it is his life's work to bring the gospel to a people group who don't have the Bible in, in their own language. And he is coming. He's going to be with us. The guy is actually from western Kentucky. That's where he's from, but he, but he lives in Togo. He's going to be with us on Wednesday night. We're going to meet in the commons. He's going to be able to share with us some things. Um, and, and many of you have asked, how can we be a part, a, a bigger part of what is happening in Togo? And I'm, I'm talking to the, to the shepherds about that, and I'm going to give you, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to give financially to that work uh, to help um, keep, uh, keep doing what we're doing there. But um, Everett's going to be with us on Wednesday night. It's going to be so fascinating. I've never met a Bible translator. Have you ever, has anybody ever met a Bible translator? I mean, this, this that we hold in our hands that sometimes we take for granted was painstakingly put together by, by people that poured over the original languages, the Hebrew, the Greek, and, and sometimes the Aramaic to bring us the Word of God in, a, in our own language so that we could read it. What, what a powerful thing that the Word of God is. And, and here is a man that, that is spending his life doing that for a people in Togo, where I have been, where Scott has now been, and uh, to, to bring the Word of God to them. That, that just is, is so amazing. Um, because people, angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. You and I are, are inheriting this salvation, but there are people in Togo that need it as well. You see the segue there I did? How nice that was? So chapter 2, Therefore, When you, when you see the word therefore, I've told you, you've got to stop and see what it's there for because of what was just said. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. He's writing this to people who are potentially drifting away. That, that's a nautical term, a term that a sailor might use back in the original language. You know, if, if you had an anchor that was, was keeping you, you know, fast, you know, right where you needed to be, or say a boat was, was in the harbor 
and it was, was docked and it was tied to the dock that was keeping that boat from drifting. But when you're just out on the open water and the waves come, you know, it doesn't take very long for, for the boat to drift from where it had been previously, right? And he's saying, we've got to pay more careful attention lest we drift away from what has been revealed to us by the Son. We've got to pay careful attention because it exists within each one of us, the potential to drift away. There, there was a, a Christian song several years ago. Um, I can't remember who it was by, but, but the idea was that, that, that they had left God. They weren't as close to God anymore. And, and she says, I must have left you one day at a time. I must have left you just one day at a time. You know, we, we can be close to God. We're, this is God. We're close to him. We love him. We're serving him. And yet we can, you know, we can start to move away. But, but, but yet I, I'm still here. I, I can still touch it. I'm still close. And then I can take maybe just another step away. And, well, I, I'm, I'm still close. Enough. I can see it. I, I'm still right there. But yet I've, I've, I've drifted a little bit. But not too far away. But if I'm not careful, day after day after day after day, I get further and further from where God wants me to be. I've drifted. And the Hebrew writer says, we've got to pay more careful attention lest we drift away. I wonder what their problem was. I wonder what their discouragement was. Maybe they just got tired. Tired of serving God. Tired of going to church. Tired of another deacon's meeting. You know, we started, started our community uh, meal yesterday. Again, it's been, I guess, several years since, since that happened because of COVID. Started that up again. I'm tired. Tired of that. Tired of setting up tables. Tired of setting up chairs. Tired of teaching VBS. You know, I'm tired of teaching Sunday school. Those kids get on my nerves. I'm just tired. Sometimes we get tired of that, right? Until one night on a a Wednesday night about 5.30, 5.45, you look at each other and you say, are we going tonight? Has that ever happened to you? You look at each other and you say, are we, are we going tonight? That never would have crossed your mind several years ago. Never would have come out of your mouth, but yet you're looking at each other and say, are, are we going tonight? I don't know. I got a lot of work left to do. I got a project due. I, it's been a tough day at work. I, I don't know. Let's just skip. Maybe that's what these, maybe that's what these Hebrews uh, and certainly some Gentiles were encountering, a crisis of faith. He says, we, we got to pay attention lest we drift away. All right. We're almost done. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, what's he talking about there? The law of Moses, the giving of the law. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You see, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. We, we notice that 
back when we were uh, looking at the uh, Proverbs, not the Proverbs, Rodney, come on, the um, parables, the parables on Wednesday night. Oftentimes, Jesus would tell a parable, and he would argue from that which was lesser to that which was greater. And so if this is true in, a, in this situation, which is kind of less than best, how much more will it be true in this situation where everything is, is good and right and perfect, right? And so that's what he's doing here. He's arguing from the lesser to the better. If this message that was given by angels, and John, I find it very interesting that when we read the account in Exodus, no angels are mentioned. No angels are mentioned in the giving of the law. But yet there are three or four or five different times in the New Testament where it references angels being present at the giving of the law of Moses who mediated that law. The Hebrew writer says that. So if, if God gave that law and everything was binding, and it was, and every disobedience was punished, and it was, how are we to escape if we ignore this great salvation that's been given to us by the Son, it's not going to happen, is what he's saying. It's that important. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. This kind of says to me that the Hebrew writer was not an apostle, was not one that had been with Jesus and heard these things because it was, a, it was confirmed to us to us by those who did hear him. Verse 4, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We're going to have to stop there because time, is, time has gotten away, and I've got more notes to talk about, but I'm not going to do it. We'll save it for next week. Jesus. He's far greater than the angels. No angel could have taken his place. It had to be the Son of God. I used, to, I used to think when I was a kid, why did God have to do that? Why did God have to send his only son? Couldn't he have had another plan? Couldn't he have sent an angel? Couldn't he have done something like that without having to have his own son crucified? But the more that I read, the more that I study, it seems that no, no, no angel could have taken his place. It had to be the son. It had to be the best of the best to show that God loves you. And Jesus had to become man. He couldn't just sit up in heaven and then just come down to earth and say, okay, I'm going to be a sacrifice for everybody. He had to walk among us. He had to be clothed in flesh. The Hebrew writer will explain that a little bit more in the coming weeks. But he had to take on our flesh and be like us and do that which we could not do. Jesus, he is exalted far above anything we can imagine. He's been given the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow under heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God.